Support for IPR comes from Orchestra Iowa, presenting Pops on the River, an outdoor concert experience with songs from the Eagles featuring the Seven Bridges Band and the entire symphony. June 1st at McGrath Amphitheater. Tickets at orchestraiowa.com. It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Today is the start of the 2023 Iowa legislative session. In the last election, Republicans in the Iowa legislature increased their majorities in both chambers, the Senate and the House. They have their largest majorities in decades, and the Iowa GOP even has a supermajority now in the Iowa Senate. Uh, today, together with my co-host, IPR state government reporter Katerina Sestarek, who is at the Legislative Law Library in Des Moines. We discuss priorities with legislative leaders from both parties. Katerina, hello to you. Hi, Ben. Hi there. Before we welcome uh, our first set of leaders, I want to reach out to our listeners. Email questions today. Uh, What legislative issues are of special concern to you? What do you want to hear uh, uh, what issue do you want to hear about uh, from the leaders we'll be featuring uh, this hour? In the second half hour, we'll have the Democrats, Representative Jennifer Converse, the House Minority Leader, and also uh, Senate uh, Minority Leader, Democrat Zach Walls. In this first half hour, we want to welcome uh, the Senate Majority Leader, uh, Republican Senator Jack Whitver. Welcome to you, Senator. Thank you for having me. And also House Speaker, uh, Republican Representative Pat Grassley. Speaker Grassley, welcome to you. Glad to be here. Let's start off with education, if we could, um, so-called school choice in 2021. Uh, The Iowa governor uh, first proposed a bill that would allow parents to use a state-funded scholarship program to send their kids to private schools. To you first, uh, Speaker Grassley, the chambers couldn't agree on this last session. Uh, What makes this session different? Well, I think... uh I think obviously that's the number one issue that everybody's talking about leading into session. So I think it's appropriate being the first one. But I think the biggest thing that's changed is you saw that being a uh, part of everyone's campaigns that they were discussed. For, I shouldn't say everyone, almost everyone. I got to be careful in saying that. But the governor obviously led on that issue, made it uh, very clear to the public her expectations. The members of our caucus, we have 24 new members within our caucus this year. A significant majority of them ran as that being part of, I mean, in some cases, why they decided to run for office. And so I think you're seeing a situation where an election and that issue being out there uh, continues to build the momentum for something happening. So what's different, I would say the biggest change, obviously, is time from the standpoint of Iowans hearing about that issue, engaging in that issue, and then with the new group of people coming into the legislature and the governor getting overwhel- getting elected, reelected overwhelmingly, I think have uh, continued to keep that on the forefront. So last year, the governor's plan for school choice had income limits of, you know, a certain threshold or people had to be under a certain income to be able to qualify for these scholarships. Um, she has she hasn't said exactly what her plan for this year is, at least not publicly, but she's kind of hinted she wants all Iowa families to have this choice. Senator Whitford, would you support this plan without any income limits? Yeah, I'm o- I'm open to anything, you know, and, and really what just want to work with the governor, work with the House, uh, work with our senators to find common agreement. And obviously, it's something that um, has been around the Capitol for three, four or five years, um, but really want to come together with her and, and the House to, to get something done. And obviously, as, as the speaker said, it was a major part of her campaign. So I would expect her um, to talk about it in her speech tomorrow, the State of the State Address, and, and I would expect her to roll out a bill um, that we would begin working on shortly thereafter. 
So just to be clear, you would support? I would, yeah. Okay. And would you support that plan without income limits? Yeah, I, I, I would as well. But I think uh, Senator Whitford's right. You know, there's going to be a lot of input that members have already had and have been expressing, whether it's to us in our individual caucuses, whether it's to the governor's office. So, you know, a lot of those conversations are happening kind of back to the original question, like what has changed? But, you know, all of that leads us to the point in which we are. And um, obviously, we want to be able to get something done at the end of the day, what the details exactly end up being. We'll just work through that as we go through session. Mm-hmm. Um, and rural school districts have been particularly concerned, and some rural legislators about this plan, um, concerned that it'll lead to more school closures and consolidation. Uh, Senator Whitford, do you have any ideas or new ideas this year to help alleviate the concerns of those rural school districts? Well, I, I think introducing competition into into the marketplace is going to be good for all schools and it's going to raise the 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 tide for everybody um rural schools some will have um private schools in their area some won't but we also look 95 percent of our kids still go to public school so that's obviously a huge part of the conversation as we start session you know everyone wants to talk about um school choice and and, and that bill and i understand that but we also have a whole committee working on on public schools and what our rural schools need and so i would expect the governor um, along with ideas that come from the house and the senate to bring ideas that that we can work on to help strengthen our rural schools as well so it's a it's a holistic conversation i know i know the attention goes to the, the hot button one, but um, we have whole committees working on things to improve um, our rural schools, all of our schools, our public schools, make them more efficient, make them more effective, bring ideas from um, administration or school boards of things that they would like to see to make it easier to do their job. And we want to be a part of that conversation as well. And Speaker Grassley, you've talked about wanting to um, pair this with more flexibility for funding or for how school districts can use their funding. Um, what does that mean exactly? Can you explain to listeners, you know, what you hope um, school districts would be able to do with that and how that would work? Well, I think, and again, always preface this, not knowing what the end result is, but some of that conversation can look like this. Historically in the legislature, we've had categorical funding or silos is that they want to call it, and very little flexibility exists in a lot of those. That's what we've been talking about as a caucus now since the election, uh, even when we met the first time afterwards, is what are some ideas in which we can try to free up those hands um, to create not only competition, but I've heard from a lot of my rural school districts, I represent a pretty rural district, uh, and my last district was extremely rural district, and one of the things that I kept getting for feedback was, we're not afraid of school choice, we just want to be able to compete on a level playing field, and some of those kinds of ideas is back to what I've been talking about when it comes to reform, that it's a broad conversation to make sure that there is competition, and there's we can do this in a way where we support public and provide options for parents. I think we can do this in a responsible way, and I think that's what you're going to see us working on. And I would just add just specifically, if you want to talk about an example of, of – of this conversation, there's a program called the Teacher Leadership Program that we implemented maybe back in 2013, 14 as a Governor Branstead priority, and it was to create teacher leaders within a school. And so maybe you take some of your teachers that are well respected and are doing a good job, or um, just good coaches, bring them up to teach the other teachers, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that idea. But there are schools out in rural Iowa that are saying, we can't even hire enough teachers, let alone get our teachers and do the whole second level of teacher leaders. But yet we allocate money for that teacher leadership program. And so if we have a school that is struggling um, to, to find employees or they just want to put more money into their regular teachers, we might want to you know, cut the strings on some of that money and say the money's still there. But if you want to use it for a different uh, way, you can. And specifically, you want to pay teachers more. 
great. And um, just not have a one size fits all approach to education. And, you know, um, in, in some of the suburban areas uh, in the district that I represent, they have um, big schools, they have the teacher leadership in place, no problem, keep doing that. But some of these other schools, maybe cut those strings and give them some flexibility and some local control on how they spend their money. But, but there are several different programs like that, that have, you know, come into existence over, you know, 20 or 30 years, you know, the legislature says, okay, well, we have a problem with this, let's put a bucket of money there. Well, maybe 20 years later, it's not as big a problem, or there's just different solutions. And so just opening that up to allow our schools and our school boards to make decisions with that money. If you've just joined us, it's um, our first Legislative Monday of this uh, 2023 legislative session, the first day of the session, as a matter of fact. Uh, ben Kiefer with my co-host, state government reporter here at IPR, Katerina Sestarek. In our first half hour, uh, if you've just joined us, we've been uh, uh, getting the thoughts of the uh, Republican legislative leaders, uh, Senator Jack Whitver, who is the majority leader, and also Pat Grassley, the House Speaker. Join us via email this hour. Um, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Uh, gentlemen, another hot-button issue, uh, undoubtedly, uh, this session, uh, abortion. Uh, last year, 2022, uh, a watershed year for abortion access across the country because of the U.S. Supreme Court Dobbs decision last summer that struck down 50 years of, of federal guarantees to abortion. Through that to the states, uh, let me ask uh, Senator Whitver, what new legislation uh, are you anticipating from uh, the Republican side of the aisle concerning abortion? Well, I, I don't know. You know, obviously, any senator can file any bill they want. So you're going to see thousands of bills filed, and undoubtedly, some will will be regarding you know protecting life. Um, but I would say this: as far as this issue from a bigger perspective, a lot has changed since we were here last May, and it's a very unsettled area of law because not only did the federal court overturn precedent, we also had the state court that overturned the precedent um, that said there was a fundamental right to an abortion in the state of Iowa's constitution. And so back in about I don't know seven, 2018 or so is when the the Iowa Supreme Court created a fundamental right to an abortion under the state constitution. Well, the new court with new justices on there, um, just three years later, four years later, said, no, there actually isn't a fundamental right to an abortion. But they also didn't tell us what any new standard would be. So really, it's a very, very unclear area of law. Um, we don't have a standard to work off of. And when I say standard, anytime we pass a bill, um, especially regarding things like this, the Supreme Court will use a different test or a standard to say whether it's constitutional or not. And um, we are, they haven't told they basically said well, there's no fundamental right, but we don't know what the standard is. And so the question is, okay, do we pass something new to send to the court or do we work off of what we've already passed? And, and you know, working, you know, I'll let the speaker speak for, for himself, but working with you know, the, the governor and others and, and, you know, frankly, Pat, and if you disagree, <laughs> chime in, I guess. But, but we've had these conversations together and said, okay, well, we have a bill that we passed back in 2018 that protected life after the, the sound of the heartbeat. It included an exception for a rape, incest, life of the mother. That has an injunction on it. And so what we've done is ask the court, review that law. Instead of passing a new one, review that law. Tell us, you know, if, if that meets your unknown standard, give us the new standard, um, but really give us a little guidance on where we're going. And so that to, to me is the quickest, easiest solution to try to figure out this very unsettled part of law. And so I guess that's a really long way of saying, um, I think the most prudent um, to, to wait, see what that court says, and then and then go from there. 
Do you think any abortion restrictions that are passed, if it gets to that point, should include exceptions for rape and incest in life of the mother? Yeah, I mean, th- that, that's what we have in front of them. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I, I think that that was a good bill that we passed with that included the exceptions. And, you know, we'll see what the court says about that. And, you know, I'm not sure the exceptions are what will ultimately determine the test. Um, we just don't know. I mean, it's so unknown. And so right now, right now I'm comfortable with that law, but we'll see how it goes through the process. Just in terms of, I think those exceptions are very popular. It's like among, you know, in polling, people broadly, broadly support having those exceptions. So do you think any law should have those? Yeah, I don't want to speculate on any potential laws, hypotheticals, because we have no idea where we're going. But like I said, I'm comfortable with what we have, uh, which is a heartbeat, rape, incest, life of the mother exceptions. And I am comfortable with that. Yeah, Yeah, I was just going to jump in. Apologize. And I'll take your question after I saw you had one come in there. But I would just say. Um, I think the right decision for us is clearly our both of our caucuses have shown that we're going to do what we can to protect life. I was in a u- unique perspective compared to a lot of other states with that court injunction that exists. So I think the right decision for us is uh, wait for that to give us some clarity and then be willing to take action. As far as uh, uh, and where I want to jump in, I think Senator Whitford kind of said that at the end, but uh, I've been pretty clear. I don't think it's going to be the right decision for us to do much speculating throughout legislative session. You'll probably, at least for me, keep getting the same answer as I'm not going to speculate on what would be the right answer because we have such new caucuses. All I know is we've continued to be strong in supporting and protecting life. So that pathway obviously would be where we would continue to go down. If you just joined us, uh, we're talking with the Republican legislative leaders at the Iowa legislature. We have a few more minutes. I'd like to, to, to uh, remind our listeners uh, of the uh, expansion of the majorities in both chambers under the Republicans in the Iowa legislature after this latest midterm election. Uh, but when, uh, gentlemen, when uh, Iowans are polled about issues that we've just spoken about, uh, so-called school choice or abortion access, they don't seem to agree with parts of the GOP agenda. Uh, Speaker Grassley, you first on this. How do you read the election results? Um, and uh, considering the polling that's been done on these issues, do you believe you have a, a mandate on these issues, uh, even if uh, these plans, uh, and I, I realize they're, they're in early stages, we don't have a lot of details, don't necessarily seem to reflect how most Iowans think about these issues? Well, when it gets into polling and setting policy, I, I think that's kind of a, a dangerous place to be basing it purely off of that. I think the thing that speaks the most for, as far as volumes is, um, for the most part, candidates that engage. I'll just use the school choice issue. And you can you everybody can point to the governor as the example with nearly a 20-point victory. And obviously, that wasn't the only thing she ran on, but she was not shy about it. And it was one of her leading agenda items. But I would say all the way down into the legislative races, You saw members with that being part of what they were running. And I know when someone goes to the ballot box, they don't always vote for one issue. They're voting for a candidate. But we were very successful in the seats in which candidates made that um, part of uh, their platform that they were running on. And I I tell everyone that school choice means uh, different things to different individuals within different districts. And so that's why I'm always careful to paint a broad brush if a certain poll and again for whatever polls are worth but if something says of a piece of polling says that it's really hard for us to push back on nearly a unanimous uh, outcomes for candidates running on this whether it was the governor all the way down to house and senate candidates so i think that the support actually is much stronger than what a poll may reflect especially on an issue like that 
Senator Whitford, do you have a response to that question? I do. Um, I think you have to be very careful when you start talking about the poll said this or the poll said that. I remember a Des Moines Register poll that said Chuck Grassley was tied and Brandon Bird was going to lose by 20 points a week before the election. Um, and how you ask the question matters. You know, all, all those things, polls are just what they are, a snapshot in time to give an idea of whatever the question you asked. Um, and, and that can sometimes be skewed, but depends on who, who does it. How I like to govern and, and lead our Senate is we have candidates that go out and campaign and tell people what they're going to do and see what the voters say. And we've been very successful with that. 12 years ago, we were at 18 members out of 50 in the Iowa Senate. We went to 24, to 29, to 32, and now 34. And so really, that's the way we like to have the conversation with our people in their district, rather than listen to some poll that's coming out of D.C. or the Des Moines Register. Speaker Grassley, um, there's a new lawsuit against the Department of Health and Human Services alleging that the state has been denying proper mental health treatment to kids who are eligible for Medicaid. Um, will the legislature work to provide funding that's dedicated to the children's mental health system this year to address that? And obviously, mental you know, mental health is always an issue that continues to come up, whether it's from the children's perspective, adult mental health. The one thing that we've really focused on, and that doesn't say that we will not talk about the funding piece, but we can put all the money in the world into a program. But right now what we're seeing in the state is we don't have anyone to be out, especially in rural Iowa, but out in the field to administer um, any sort of these services. And so we've really focused on that this last session, making sure we can incentivize the service side of it and who can provide those services. Obviously, we'll have that conversation throughout the budget process, but that's kind of where we focus, not because the other the funding isn't important, but we have a critical need um, as far as staffing all across the state when it comes to that. Senator Whitfer, um, will the Senate be working on anything related to mental health workforce and uh, mental health funding specifically yeah, for children? Mental health is something that we're going to, it, it's a continuous issue that you always work on and you're never going to find the magic solution to, to ever take care of every problem. But um, what we need to do is continue to build upon what we, we've done the last few years. Remember, we didn't have a children's mental health system in the state of Iowa as of five years ago. You know, I remember when Governor Reynolds was sworn in to be governor, she gave a speech down in the rotunda, kind of uh, her, you know, swearing in speech at that time. She rolled out the ch children's mental health uh, program at that time. You know, it took the Republican trifecta to say, why is there not a children's men mental health program? We need to implement that. And we have. And so, and then last year or, or the year before, we came up with the dedicated um, funding for mental health that wasn't there. It was frozen in time 20 years ago. We took um, the initiative to, to take that on at the state level. We got it off of property tax. Uh, we are the last state in the country that was funding mental health with property taxes. We brought that to the state and not only brought it to the state, but created an automatic escalator to make sure that those programs are continued to be funded. And so we will continue to do the same with, with children's mental health. Uh, but it's something that we've worked on. I'd be surprised if there wasn't a, a mental health bill every single year, the last five. And I would be surprised if there's not something to try to continue to improve over the next five. Counting down the last minutes uh, in our conversation with uh, Republican legislative leaders, uh, Senator Jack Whitfer, Senate Majority Leader, and Speaker uh, Grassley. Um, let's move to taxes briefly. Um, Republicans have used uh, the legislative majorities to pass several rounds of tax cuts in recent years. Here's a question from one of our listeners just sent in. Bill from Sac City writes, as a councilman, I know many cities and counties, especially the rural ones, struggle to balance our budgets. Property taxes have already been cut. Why would you want to do another property tax cut and further challenge Iowa cities and counties, asks Bill from Sac City. Um, whoever wants to jump in there, uh, Senator or Representative? 
Well, I mean, from from a legislative perspective, we can't do a lot of property tax cutting. What we can do is reform the system or change the system. But ultimately, it's on people like Bill that are serving at the local level that will determine your um, to our listeners, your property tax rate. What we would like to do is continue to add transparency to that because here's the problem. Assessments in Iowa are going to go up probably on average 20% this year. Um, that's great if your house is going up in value 20%. That's equity for you. But it's not great if your taxes are going up at a corresponding amount. And uh, there's a lot of cities, a lot of good cities, and Bill might be on one of those city councils that does this. If they get that big of an assessment increase, they'll just lower their levy and still collect what they need. But there are too many people that are out there that are being dishonest with the system. And they will say, oh, great news, everybody. Your, assess- or your levy is not going to go up at all. And everyone's like, oh, great. Our levy's not going up. The problem is your assessment did. That means you're paying a lot more taxes. And so there, there's this shell game going on that I think more than anything we need to expose. But really the, the blueprint for our cities and counties and, and, and all those locals on, on the property tax system – is right here at the state. What we have done is controlled our budget. We've invested in priorities. Um, We've continued to reduce taxes where we can, Uh, but you have to control spending. And ultimately that comes down to people like Bill and and our locals on the city council um, or or the school board or the counties to to actually control the, the property taxes. Another I, I would like to just jump. Let yeah, me just pl- jump in on that really quick and just say, do. I think from the house's perspective, uh, changing the narrative and what's always existed in this. And I know we're running short on time, but I think the most important piece is it feels like, especially for the property taxpayer, the system has always been skewed towards the taxing authority, and and the certainty exists for them. What we want to do in the house, and I think uh, hopefully gets you know I think will get support throughout the entire building, but make sure that there's some certainty for the taxpayer as much as the taxing authority, because right now we hear from too many. Iowans on fixed incomes or Iowans that aren't prepared to be able to handle 20% increases. And I think the system uh, really punishes those people unfairly. In the final minute we have, let's see if we can get an answer from um, one or or both of you uh, to Tom's question sent in via email. State funding for public schools, he writes, has not come close to matching inflation for several years, leaving our public schools underfunded and understaffed as a result of our public schools. As a result, our public schools have fallen from the best in the nation, he writes, to the middle of the pack. Now Republicans are proposing to cut property taxes. How will that affect our public schools? Question from Tom. Well, I was going to say, when it comes to the cutting of property taxes, what we would do in that would be the state putting in state dollars to do any reduction, if that's part of the conversation. But I remind everyone, we're putting more money into K-12 education right now in the state of Iowa than we ever have. And so, you know, everyone's going to squabble about what that amount is, but it's also the highest level that's ever happened in the state of Iowa. So it's, I, I always find that argument a little bit difficult. And quite frankly, I won't go off on a tangent, but with Medicaid growing at the rate that it is, one in four Iowans on that program, it's applied pressure to the uh, entirety of the budget in ways that never existed before. So having that still having the highest level, uh, I think puts us in a pretty strong position. Well, thank you for joining us this hour from the Iowa Law Library in Des Moines. Um, Senate Majority Leader Jack Whitver and Speaker Pat Grassley. Thank you, gentlemen, for coming in today. Thank, thank you. you. Coming up after a short break, uh, Katerina and I will welcome the Democratic side of the equation, Representative Jennifer Converse, the House Minority Leader, and Senator Zach Walls, the Senate Minority Leader. That's when we return. It's River to River from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from Orchestra Iowa, presenting Pops on the River, an outdoor concert experience with songs from the Eagles featuring the Seven Bridges Band and the entire symphony. June 1st at McGrath Amphitheater. Tickets at orchestraiowa.com. 
This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. We're back with more of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer with my co-host today, Katerina Sistarek, IPR state government reporter on this very first day of the 2023 Iowa legislative session. Republicans in the legislature increased their majorities in both chambers uh, due to the um, election results from November. They have their largest majorities in decades and even in the Senate, the supermajority. And uh, so this hour we're getting a... um, a view of uh, the priorities uh, from the legislative leaders in the last half hour. We had Senate Majority Leader Jack Whitfer and Pat Grassley, the House Speaker. This half hour, their counterparts. Representative Jennifer Confirst is the House Minority Leader, and Senator Zach Walls, the Senate Minority Leader. Uh, Senator Walls, uh, Representative Confirst, uh, welcome to our program. Thank you for having us. Hi, Ben. And for the uh, listeners as well, we, uh, we enjoy getting continued emails with your questions about a legislative issue that is of a special concern to you. Email us right now with your question, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Education, a big topic. Uh, Governor Reynolds' uh, school choice, so-called school choice proposal, uh, again, to dominate debate, uh, uh, we just ended our conversation in the last half hour. I, I don't think you were in the room to hear that, um, but uh, uh, we talked about polling, and uh, and Speaker Grassley said that uh, they were very successful with candidates who made school choice part of their platform. Uh, I wonder if we can go to you, Representative um, House Minority Leader, Confirst, if Iowans are so against Republican plans for school vouchers, why hasn't that been reflected in the recent, most recent elections in which the Republicans increased their majorities in both chambers? I think the most important thing to remember is that it was one of the things that uh, Republicans proposed as part of their uh, agenda, and it was proposed and emphasized at varying levels throughout the campaign and in different districts across the state. So in some, it became a centerpiece of how they ran. In others, many of those that um, we were targeting as well, it barely came up. And so um, I think that, you know, to be honest with you, that's what I would say too, if I were Speaker Grassley, but um, that doesn't change the fact that a majority of Iowans don't want this particular policy issue. People don't vote on one issue. And um, there are a lot of reasons the election went the way it did, but I don't believe it's because Iowans have had a change of heart about the voucher program. They still believe public money belongs in public schools. Senator Walls, um, when we had the um, Republican leaders on just a few minutes ago, they said they would both support um, having these private school scholarships without having income limits for families. So just anyone could um, could get, I guess anyone could get them, or at least it wouldn't be based on income. Um, there used to be income limits in the previous plans. What do you, what does that say to you just about how this issue has evolved and, you know, what it, what it means to Republicans and to voters? Well, it says to me that Republican, uh, Republican politicians are focused on their big donors. That's what this is all about. Uh, Look, Iowa Democrats are going to stand up for parents. We're going to stand up for kids. We're going to stand up for the communities that would be devastated by a private school voucher system. We know that this is wrong for Iowa children. We know it's wrong for Iowa parents. And we know it will be particularly devastating in rural communities across Iowa. That is why so many rural Republican legislators have opposed this plan. And it's why the governor 
governor had to personally involve herself in primaries last year, which was a completely unprecedented step. She is so laser focused on a scheme that is wrong for our state and is being pushed by special interest groups from Washington, D.C., that she actually took out members of her own party who were saying that this was wrong for Iowa. We think that those people were right, and we're going to continue to oppose it. Uh, I think the reality is that you shouldn't count your chickens before the eggs have hatched. And uh, I think it would be good for Speaker Grassley and, and Majority Leader Whitford to learn that lesson. There's been research done on school choice or um, education saving account programs in other states, and it seems like the results are kind of mixed in terms of how students do, um, depending on the state and the program. Um, Representative Confirst, why are Democrats so convinced that this would be bad for Iowa? I think the most important thing we need to remember is that the money is coming out of public schools and going into private schools. And so that's leaving public school kids behind. And so the devastation occurs when you see schools close, when you see communities dry up because that school goes away. And this income limit issue is essentially allowing a rich family from Des Moines to take money that they could afford otherwise and send their kid to a private school and starve the public school where their kids would have otherwise gone. And that is absolutely the opposite of what folks want. So to us, it's really about equal educational opportunity. And it's not school choice when many, many, many Iowa families don't have a choice to send their kids to private school. And Katarina, uh, one thing that's really critical here, Iowa has one of the most robust open enrollment, open, open enrollment programs in the United States. Uh, this uh, idea that we don't have school choice in Iowa is absolutely ridiculous. The reality is that uh, every Iowa parent has the opportunity to open enroll their child. Uh, and the reality is that Iowa Republicans are so focused on the private school issue because they don't want for what is happening in these private schools. Well, sorry, I have one more thing, and that is about um, when you talk about outcomes, it's important to remember that private schools don't have to accept every kid. And so um, there are a lot of students with learning differences or students who just for any reason, a private school doesn't need to accept them. They're not held by the same standards as a public school. So we're not comparing apples to oranges or apples to apples here. And in fact, we are setting private schools up to succeed while leaving behind the kids who need those resources the most in our public schools. Speaker Grassley has talked about wanting to combine this plan with more uh, funding flexibility for public school districts, and um, and then Senator Whitver suggested that could mean um, using the teacher leadership funds or letting school districts use those to just raise teacher salaries rather than just using it for, for what it's designated for. Um, Senator Walls, would you be open to something like that? Iowa Democrats want strong public education. We believe that starts by making sure that our schools have the adequate resources that they need. And depending on the proposal, we would, I think, be open to a, a proposal that would give more flexibility to school districts to make these decisions. One of the problems that we've experienced over the last several years is that Iowa Republicans have been more and more focused on making these kinds of decisions in Des Moines rather than empowering local school boards who are elected by people who live in those communities to make these decisions. We believe that local control is an important principle for our state, and that's something that should be a part of these discussions as we go forward. State Senator Zach Walls with us, as well as Representative State Representative Jennifer Converse, the House Minority Leader and the Senate Minority Leader on this half hour of River to River as we hear from legislative, liver, legislative 
leaders on this very first day of the 2023 Iowa legislative session. And we have some emails to get to, but let's get to another hot-button issue that we addressed with the Republican leaders in the first half hour to get your view on this. Of course, the last year in watershed year for abortion in this country uh, with the U.S. Supreme Court decision in the summer striking down nearly 50 years of uh, federal guarantee to abortion, handing that uh, job um, about abortion access to the states. Uh, and we heard a little bit of that in the first half hour. Um, Jennifer Confirst, uh, what's your strategy as Republicans look to restrict abortion in Iowa? It's just another example of um, Republicans listening to their base and the extreme wing of their base and not to Iowans. A majority of Iowans believe that the decision to make um, her own reproductive health care decisions belongs between a woman and her doctor and that none of us have any right to be in that room. And so, um, you know, our strategy is to continue to remind Iowans that what you're asking for, what you care about is not what's happening at the legislature. And so we need to hold Republicans accountable for who they're answering to and what they're trying to do. At the end of the day, Iowans want reproductive freedom. They say that over and over again in polls. We also saw in several races where that issue was a key component, for example, in Ankeny, where that issue was um, a hot button issue in the Iowa House. We saw um, Republican seats flip to Democratic seats because Iowans are sick and tired of this extremism and of Republican politicians playing politics with their futures. Um, Senator Walls, um there was some talk about workforce issues. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about workforce issues in the state. Um, and Whitfer said Senate Republicans will be working on that as well. Um, what um, what things can Republicans and Democrats work on together this year, do you think, in terms of workforce? Well, I think that there are a lot of opportunities. <clears throat> we certainly want to make sure that we're focusing on high-quality job training and apprenticeship programs. That's something that Democrats have supported for a long time. I think that we can all agree on the need for training the next generation of workers, whether or not that involves going to college. Uh, one big concern that Democrats have, Katerina, is that the Republican agenda has been scaring away young people from our state. We, we talked about this this morning, the exodus from the state of Iowa of that next generation. Iowa has lost hundreds of thousands of people over the last decade who are in their prime working years. And that's something that we need to have a really laser focus on, is making sure that we're doing everything that we can to keep that next generation here in Iowa so that they're homegrown. And there are ways that we can do that, trying to make sure that we're underscoring um, investment in affordable housing, trying to protect folks who live in mobile or manufactured homes, addressing the, the housing shortage that exists, not just in, in big cities and urban areas, but also in small towns and rural communities across Iowa. Uh, there are lots of ways to do that. But, but at the end of the day, it's going to require the majority party to decide that that's something that they're worried about and not something that they're going to keep their heads in the sand. We have about 10 minutes left in our conversation live with State Senator Zach Walls and State Senator, State Representative Jennifer Confirst. Let's go to some uh, emails that have been sent in in just the last few minutes. Uh, this has to do with schools and uh, taxes uh, from John R. He writes, if the state boasts of a budget surplus, why is it a continuous fight to get the level of funding for Iowa public schools that is needed when the money is actually available? Uh, asks John, one of our listeners. Well, John, I think that's a great question, and it's one that we ask ourselves as well. Look, it's important to realize that we have a budget surplus for two reasons. One, because we're underinvesting in our priorities, and two, because we've had federal dollars coming into the state that are one-time dollars that aren't being utilized. And so, um, you know, when we look at the surplus, we need to remember that that's money that schools haven't gotten. 
and that that's an investment in our public schools that is long overdue. We've been underfunding public schools for 10 years. Um, I don't know why our colleagues across the aisle are so dead set against um, funding our public schools at an adequate level, but um, it's something that we'll keep talking about because it is critically important. Let's remember we're not paying for, you know, this. We're, we don't care about buildings and, and, you know, textbooks. We're there to make sure kids are learning and teachers are supported, and that's what this funding goes towards. So we can talk a lot about, you know, sort of what, what the dollars go toward, but at the end of the day, it's about making sure that Iowa kids graduate with a quality education, that teachers stay in our state, and that those Iowa kids, when they graduate, they stay here and build a life here. And we can do that when we have strong public schools. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go to another email with the time we remaining here. This is a topic we issue we didn't uh, put to the Republican leaders in our first half uh, from Rosa Lee in Iowa City. Please ask Iowa Democratic leaders how we can prevent the gun legislation allowing anyone to get a gun without much oversight in light of daily, nightly gun-related shootings. How on earth, she writes, uh, can sensible gun legislation get passed? Who wants to tackle that, please? Well, it's an important question, and Iowans deserve to feel safe, whether it's at their schools, at their houses of worship, uh, when they're out shopping, anytime they're in public, or even in the the safety of their own home. Uh, We should be able to all agree, Democrats, Republicans, independents, that Iowans should be able to feel safe. And I think there's an enormous amount of concern that the recently passed constitutional amendment uh, is not going to result in in that being the case. Uh, Obviously, Ben, until additional legislation is brought forward or or lawsuits are challenged, uh, are filed to challenge existing law, it's tough to say how the the uh, what the consequences of this this amendment will be, um, and 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 so I, I think we just don't know just yet. What what I can say is that uh, while Democrats will continue to support the Second Amendment, we're also going to be making sure that we have safe schools, safe communities, and that people feel safe when they're worshiping uh, wherever that may be. Let's talk about property taxes here as well, and to, to have you react to something that the Senate Majority Leader Whitver. Um, and I'll just paraphrase, um, he, from the first half hour, he said, we can do a lot of cutting, we can't reform or change the system, but ultimately, uh, he said something like, it's on the people serving at the local level to change the tax rate. We just want to increase transparency. There are too many people, he uh, said, out there being dishonest with the system, and it's a shell game going on. We need to expose. Uh, react to uh, the Republicans' view on uh, tax uh, property tax reform. Well, I'm, I'm reacting in real time here, and, and that's sort of surprising to me. I've heard about transparency on this issue, and of course, everybody's for transparency. I'm, I've, you know, I'd like to learn a little bit more about the shell game that's happening. But what I'll tell you is this: when Iowans get their property tax assessment every year, uh, a lot of Iowans are upset that it's too high, and so of course we're happy to have those conversations. It's time to have a conversation about property taxes. However, it's time that for the first time in a long time, the beneficiaries of any tax cut goes to middle class families first. So as we're looking at property taxes, as we're looking at any more tax legislation, you know, we we don't have a great track record here in the state of making sure that middle class families get the benefits of tax cuts. We don't even have the, the current tax cut fully implemented. It's been nine days since it's been in the works, and we don't know what the impact will be. And so we we need to make sure that we're we're playing a fair game here. And if that means making sure that local leaders and community leaders who are elected to do this are working with the community, and I'm all for transparency all the time. I just think that uh, we don't want to distract from any legislation that would secretly be putting more money in the pockets of millionaires and corporations while they're distracting over here with the issue of transparency. We've not seen them take a good stand on um, fairness for middle-class families, and I don't have confidence they'll do that again. 
Ben, if, if anyone has been playing a shell game, it's Iowa Republicans. Uh, Governor Reynolds and Republicans have not only been reckless with the resources that our state has, uh, they've turned away federal dollars that could have been used to improve our schools or expand access to child care. They're the ones who broke the promise that was made to our local towns, school boards and counties to backfill changes to the property tax cut that was enacted several years ago. So I think if there's anyone who's playing a shell game, Iowa Republicans should take a look in the mirror first. There's been a lot of talk about the carbon capture pipelines. A lot of Iowans are have concerns about those and the potential use of eminent domain to build those um, three proposed pipelines. Um, it seems like leaders from both parties have been hesitant to commit to doing anything about it. Um, Representative Converse, why is that? You know, what what are you trying to balance here? Well, I think, you know, this is a complicated issue and we want to make sure we're having conversations where everybody's at the table. And so I want to make sure that landowners feel that they're having their voices heard in this. And so, you know, you hear hear things floated like 90%, you know, voluntary easements. Voluntary easements is the place we need to be having that conversation so that people know what they're getting into and are having some say. Um, the other issue is, you know, with regard to the definition of public good, these companies need to um, defend why they would use eminent domain for a public good. And I'm not convinced yet that that's what these pipelines will do. So I think that the reason we're, we're hesitant to commit is because there's a lot going on here and a lot of different proposals out there. And it's frankly the Republicans' responsibility to come forward with a proposal. And we'd like to be part of that conversation. So I'd like to work with Speaker Grassley on coming up with a solution together, because I do think this can be bipartisan as long as we're putting putting Iowa landowners and Iowa families first. Katarita, let's be very clear. It was Iowa Republicans who killed the bill in the Commerce Committee of the Iowa Senate last year that would have allowed us to actually have a debate about this on the floor. Several Iowa Democrats spoke out in strong support of landowner rights and against the use of eminent domain for these projects. I think at, at, at a high level here, we want to make sure that if we're going to have uh, any kind of carbon pipeline that exists in the state, uh, that the, the carbon that's being transported is not being used for enhanced oil recovery, which is a, a dirty environmental practice that's not good for our state. I think it's important to make sure that if these these pipelines are being moved forward, that they're being uh, built with Iowa, you know, uh, Iowa crews, that we're not just giving these jobs to out-of-state companies that haven't earned the labor. And then just like Representative Confer said, landowner rights have to be protected. This is not complicated. Uh, there's there's some real concerns that are out there about the use of eminent domain for these projects. It sounds like everything I've heard or read so far is that voluntary easements are kind of moving forward at this point. Uh, but I think that you will see more conversation about this topic this year in a bipartisan way. I just want to quickly go back to the um, school choice debate. Mm -hmm. um, Representative Converse, you are on this new education reform committee in the House that Speaker Grassley will be chairing. Um, how do you expect that to go, and what are you expecting to see with that? Well, as a Democrat, I expect it to go really, really great. No, I'm just kidding. I don't expect it to be um, really in our favor. You know, the committees are, you know, because they have the majority, they get more seats on that committee. But I am excited that there is an education reform committee because instead of rushing this through education along with everything else, let's put a spotlight on the school voucher plan. Let's make sure that Iowans know that this plan is for every Iowan and it is there are no income limits on it and it allows people with plenty of means to use taxpayer dollars to send their kids to private school. So I'm all for this kind of transparency with regards to the process and hope that Iowans make their voices heard. At the end of the day, the most important things Iowans can do on any of these issues that we've talked about is contact us. Let us know what you care about, even if we you agree with us, because it helps us to build a case and it helps us to make the case that Iowans are saying one thing and Republicans are doing another. 
Let's finish up uh, probably the last uh, question here, uh, email question from Mary in Des Moines. Perhaps just a, yeah, it is a question and an observation from Mary. Any legislation you're, oppo- you're proposing to improve care uh, caregiving in Iowa's long-term facilities, she asks. And then remarks, year in and year out, there's an endless stream of reports about poor care in facilities throughout the state. Mary in Des Moines, thank you for that question. Uh, we have about uh, a minute and a minute and a half uh, or so. Who would like to jump on that uh, 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 leader um, uh, con first? Uh, or, or, or Senator Walsh, yeah, please. No, I, we, we were just kind of pointing back and forth here in the <laughs> studio. Right. Uh, in Mary, it's, a, it's an important question. We know how many uh, folks depend on Iowa's long-term care facilities. Uh, Democrats uh, in the Senate, and I believe also in the House, have have essentially continuously introduce legislation uh, to make sure that we have more oversight, especially in our long-term care ombudsman's office. Uh, You know, one of the first issues, Ben, that I campaigned on when I was running was against this idea that you were going to be conducting these kinds of surveys or or check-ins remotely or or that you were going to have interns, unpaid interns, volunteer interns doing these. Uh, The folks who are in these facilities deserve to know and their families deserve to know that they are being audited and reviewed by paid professionals from the state of Iowa, who are going to hold them to high standards. Uh, that's what we should expect for dignity and aging, and I really appreciate Mary uh, bringing a spotlight to that issue. Mm-hmm. Perhaps a, a quick answer to a question about the new members. Um, how does that change the dynamic uh, in the House and the Senate? Uh, are either of you optimistic about more uh, bar- bipartisanship? I really am. Um, you know, we have 39 percent of the Iowa House of Representatives is new, 15 new members in the Iowa House Democratic Caucus. And there's a lot of energy, a lot of new enthusiasm and a lot of spirit of bipartisanship starting already. You know, um, I'm going to be optimistic and hope that we can accomplish more. This is a great opportunity to clean the clean the slate and start new with bipartisan work from beginning to end. It's important to remember that bipartisanship doesn't mean Democrats vote for Republican bills. It means that we are part of the bill drafting and um, approving process, improving process. And maybe with this new group, we'll be able to get some of that done. Okay. Thank you very much, Representative Conforst and State Senator Zach Waltz. We appreciate you coming into the Law Library in Des Moines. Thanks for having us. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. Tomorrow on the program, we'll look at the contentious contentious issue of illegal immigration. Also, how the lack of an agreement between the major parties on a federal level on immigration reform is impacting our economy, also here in Iowa. Uh, River to River, produced today by Caitlin Troutman, engineered by John Pemble. On behalf of my co-host, Katerina Stark, thanks for listening. <laughs>